transfigured on the mount of Christ our God, revealing thy glory to thy disciples as far as they could bear it. Let thine everlasting light shine upon us sinners through the Good evening. My name is Father Athanasios Heros, and I'm the Dean here at the St. Nicholas Greek Orthodox Cathedral in Tarpon Springs, Florida, and I'm your host for Be Transfigured Ministries. Welcome back to another live Bible study on the book of 1 Corinthians, inspired by the homilies of St. John Chrysostom. Tonight's session is session 30, and it covers 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 through 11, and follows homily 29 on 1 Corinthians. If you're new to our Bible study, let me share with you how it works. First of all, welcome. Second of all, if you're ever here in downtown Tarpon Springs, we invite you to join us in person. There are people in the room in uh, downtown in Father Trifon Hall in downtown Tarpon Springs. We'd love to have you join us in person. But if you can't, at least you're following us online. So here's how it works. As I mentioned, this is inspired by the homilies of St. John Chrysostom. And somewhere in the year, we believe 385, while he was serving as a priest in Antioch, this is before he became con uh, Patriarch of Constantinople, he taught a Bible study series on 1 Corinthians. And we are using that Bible study series to teach us. And so our benefit for this is that we have the writings from St. Paul from the first century. We have the writings from St. John Chrysostom in the fourth century. And we have us today in the 21st century. Corinth, Antioch, and contemporary America all share a lot of similarities culturally. We are a multicultural society. We are a highly educated society. We are a wealthy society. We are a cosmopolitan, you name it, we have all these similarities. Unfortunately, we also include division. The Corinthians and Antiochians and contemporary Americans we know because we live here are all very divided in a lot of factions. And so St. Paul and therefore St. John Chrysostom spent a lot of time talking about division and unity. So we get benefit from that. So every week we read the portion of Corinthians and the homily from St. John Chrysostom and we bring the two things together to help us have a better understanding. Now if you need a copy of the homily, you can find it online and there is a link on the study guide. If you have not yet downloaded your study guide, you can find the study guide at my website, liveanewlifeinchrist.org slash org. I'm sorry, dash dot org slash Bible dash studies and navigate to session 30. There's a button there. It will open up the study guide and it'll also have a link to the video. Of course, you don't need that because you're already watching the video. On the live stream, there is a live chat room, but you must be watching on YouTube to participate in the live chat. The live chat is moderated by Presbyter Vasi, my lovely, intelligent, dedicated, and faithful wife. She's also a very good cook. And I say those things not because, not just because I love her, but because I want her to let me back in the house when I get home tonight, right? She is at home monitoring the chat room, and on occasion she will bump a question to me on my phone, and I will incorporate it into the conversation. All right, one final thing before we continue, and that is you will see that there is a, you watched a commercial when you when turn in the live stream. Uh, we are in the process of raising money to make our Bible studies totally ad-free. You can do that by pressing the donate button on YouTube, or you can go to our website, liveanewlifeinchrist.org slash give, and there's a button there to eliminate our advertising to keep Be Transfigured advertisement free. That is our goal. 
So uh, is that everything? Did I miss anything this time? No. All right. So before we continue, I have some bad news. Now, I don't want weeping and gnashing of teeth and wailing and gnashing of teeth. But because of my travel schedule, we're going to take the next four weeks off. I know, I know you're going to miss me. You're going to cry. It's horrible. With the next four weeks, there'll be no Bible study, which is a good place for you, if you're new to our Bible study, to get caught up. And you can binge watch me over the next four Tuesday nights. So I wanted to get that out in the open. I have a, a lot of traveling to do. So the next four weeks, there'll be no Bible study. Four weeks in a row. So we'll get November, I think it's the 13th, whatever that Thursday is. Is that, the is that, a, is that a Tuesday, I mean? Uh, the 14th? Okay, November 14th will be our next Bible study. So um, now you may weep and gnash and wail because you're going to miss Bible study. You don't have to fake cry. If you don't want to cry, that's okay. Uh, also, our microphones have not been fixed, so you, if you read tonight or ask a question, make it good and loud so they can be heard through my microphone. All right? Without further ado, let's go ahead and say our prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Shine within our hearts, loving Master, the pure light of your divine knowledge, and the open the eyes of our minds that we may comprehend the message of your gospel. Instill in us also reverence for your blessed commandments, so that having conquered sinful desires, we may pursue a spiritual life, thinking and doing all those things which are pleasing to you. For you, Christ our God, are the light of our souls and bodies, and do we give glory, together with your Father's our beginning in your all-holy good and life-creating spirit, now and forever and to the ages of ages. Amen. So on the study guide, if you're new to our Bible study, you'll notice it says text analysis, section one. And I've added something you'll notice. I've added what verses go with that particular section to help you find back and forth if between the homily and the... Um, and the text of the scriptures. You'll also notice, right, so the section numbers, if you're new, are given to us by the editors of the study, of the, um, of the homilies. They are not specific, but this is where the editors have sectioned off the homilies, so this way you can take the study guide and you can find those particular passages in the homily, right? So we're on homily 29, and tonight we're studying 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 through 11. Do I have a volunteer to read, please? All right, Connor, go ahead. I'm sorry, Seraphim, go right ahead. Good and loud so they can hear you through my microphone. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren. Is that what you call loud? Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles, carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healings by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. All right, thank you very much. So let me just say right off the bat, tonight's Bible study is a great theological Bible study as well. There's a lot of theology in tonight's Bible study, not just, you know, what does St. Paul mean or what have you. So there's going to be some moments where we're actually learning some of the theological truths um, about God and, and how that helps us. So um, there's really a great benefit for tonight. So let's just dig right in. Section 1, now again, this is uh, for verses 1 and 2. Point number one, in the ancient church, people received visible gifts from God. Listen to what Chrysostom says here. Whoever was baptized, he straightaway spoke with tongues, 
and not with tongues only, but many also prophesied. Some also performed many other wonderful works. For since on their coming over from idols without any clear knowledge or training in the ancient scriptures, they at once on their baptism received the Spirit. Yet the Spirit they saw not, for it is invisible. Therefore God's grace bestowed some sensible proof of that energy. Right? So there's a, a beautiful theological truth right there. Right? So when they received the Spirit, because there was, and I like to use the term, innocent ignorance, genuine unknowing, right that since the spirit is invisible upon their baptism he's talking about they received these visible signs these visible gifts to show the power and the genuine truth of the holy spirit right now that's not necessarily the case today right people are baptized they don't necessarily receive these visible gifts like they did in the ancient church. And sometimes that makes us feel like, well, aren't I deserving of those things? You know, can't I get some, some gifts here, please? But the point Chrysostom is making is it was for a reason they received those gifts because otherwise they would not have known they received the Holy Spirit, right? Those of us now who come to Christ in a more... If, if, excuse the expression, in a more learned fashion, we know we're receiving the Holy Spirit. We don't necessarily have to receive the physical proof to show ourselves and other people that we have received the Holy Spirit. That was a different stage then, right? This is the very first, for lack of a better word, the very first converts, right? The very first members of the church who were in this world that didn't believe in Christ, didn't even know who Christ was, let alone the Holy Spirit. And so there's this visible sign being given to them in the ancient church. Point number two, I find myself having to say this all the time. Tongues means languages. It's not some crazy gibberish mumbo-jumbo that the, that the contemporary Pentecostal church talks about, okay? This is not blah, 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 blah. This is the gift of languages, all right? And St. Paul makes that very clear as well as uh, St. John Christum. So here we go. And one straightaway spoke in the Persian, another in the Roman, another in the Indian, another in some other such language. And this made manifest to them that, that were without, that it is the spirit in the very person speaking, right? Not this gibberish, but they miraculously could speak languages they otherwise could not have known. Right? So when you hear this, <clears throat> we understand this to mean the gift of languages. Right? In, in, in Greek, it's the same word. Tongue is tongue and languages. It's the same word in, Engl in Greek. Right? Now, we talked about this a few weeks ago. There is also this tradition in the ancient church of this unknown language, okay? And even St. Paul says there, what good is it if there's no one there to interpret, okay? But in this particular passage, he's talking about languages of other cultures. He's not talking about this gibberish that is the... Uh, the uh, interpretation of the contemporary Pentecostal church. Point number three, different gifts became a source of division rather than glory. Remember, we're talking about a divided church community, right, in, in Corinth. So listen to what Chrysostom says here. This became to them a cause of division, not from its own nature, but the, from the perverseness of them that had received it, right? So they're kind of mad. And I guess it's, you know, fallen human nature. How come they got that gift? How come I didn't get that gift? How come they can speak? How come I, you know, there's this, there's this bickering going on. And instead of it being a source of joy and glory, it's a source of division, 
Remember, very divided community in Corinth. We also know that's the same thing in Antioch, and we know it's true you know, for America today. So here's that theme again. What should unite us is dividing us. St. Paul and Christum have been on that now for a few weeks, haven't they, right? So that same constant theme, what should be uniting us is actually dividing us. Okay, moving on now beyond uh, languages, point number four. And I think I alluded to this a few weeks ago. There is a difference between soothsaying and prophecy. This is what Chrysostom says here. And this was not the only thing to disturb them, but there were also in the place many soothsayers, inasmuch as the city was more than usually addicted to Grecian customs. And this with the rest was tending to offense and disturbance among them. This is the reason why he begins the first thing, the difference between soothsaying and prophecy. Right? So if I were to re translate those words, right? Soothsaying is future telling as opposed to prophecy, which is a divine word for a particular purpose, right? So it's not just future telling. And that's the difference between soothsaying and prophecy. To make the further point, point number five, the future reveals the true prophet of God. It was not easy to distinguish the true prophesier from the pretender, for the devil himself, accursed as he is, had entered into them that prophesied, bringing in false prophets, as if forsooth them also could foretell things to come. And further, men were easily deceived because the things spoken could not for the present be brought to trial, ere yet the events had come to pass concerning which the prophecy was. For it was the end that provided the false prophet, proved the false prophet and the true. In other words, right, so soothsaying and prophecy both talk about the future. One is false, one is true. And only the future determines which is which, making it much more difficult when we're in the midst of hearing that, right? That's why he says one is prophesying and one is this and one is that and one is this. And so we have to understand that there's this confusion happening in the church. And people, because they're under the influence of the devil, they're soothsaying trying to get the privileges, so to speak, of a prophet because they're telling things from the future. And it's important to remember because the devil is bodiless, he's not bound by the same uh, physical parameters that we are, the devil can see the future because he's not bound by the earth. And so he can insert his lies through these false prophets and only time can tell which was the true and which was the false. And remember, for St. John Chrysostom and St. Paul, the difference isn't whether or not it's speaking the future. The difference is, is one divine versus the other being evil? Okay, and again, it's not just is it going to happen, but what is the purpose of the prophecy? I spoke about this a few weeks ago. In biblical prophecy, it is to teach us a, a, a lesson about God, right? It's not meant to just tell us the future. It's, all right, let's make it very, very simple, right? So... Prophecy is, if things don't change, this is going to happen, right? If we don't get our act together, there's going to be death. Now, obviously, the lesson there, divine lesson is, if we get our act together, we can avoid the bad thing. But when we see the bad thing happening, what's going to happen? Oh, yeah, God warned us about this. Let's change our act. Let's improve now. 
right? So that's the purpose of the biblical prophecy, to get us to repentance, not just to get us knowing the future. Understand the difference, right? And so there's a lot of more modern day prophets, so the prophecy of this and the prophecy of the end times and this and that and this and that. It's not about future telling, it's about is it leading us... I wasn't speaking to you. It's about leading us to some kind of repentance. Do you understand the difference there? Okay. Oh, I think I have a question. Nope, that was from somebody else. Okay, section number two. And we're still in 1 Corinthians uh, 12, verses 1 and 2. It's the same verses here. Our spiritual gifts is point number six. Our spiritual gifts have nothing to do with human effort. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. This is St. Paul. Calling the signs spiritual because they are the works of the Spirit alone. Human effort contributing nothing to the working such, to the working such wonders. Right? Our spiritual gifts have nothing to do with us. We're not the ones doing it. It's not because we're this. It's not because we're special. It is truly a sign from God. Right? These are divine things. Not because of anything that we've done to make us worthy. Point number seven. A prophet speaks with a clear mind from God. A soothsayer does not. This is a good one. For this is the peculiar, for this is peculiar to the soothsayer, to be beside himself, to be under compulsion, to be pushed, to be dragged, to be hailed as a madman. But the prophet, not so, but with sober mind and composed temper and knowing what he is saying, he utters all things. Therefore, even before the event, do thou from this distinguish the soothsayer and the prophet." His point here, if you go back to the sermon, is that the false prophet, the soothsayers, when they're challenged, they lose their cool. That's my words. Christism didn't say it that way, right? But they throw a tantrum, they throw a fit. Christum is saying that's evidence that they're false prophets as opposed to divine prophets. The divine prophets are going to keep their cool. They're going to, with a level head, you know, this is what God wanted me to say, this is what God wanted me to say. If you don't accept it, you don't have to accept it. They don't throw tantrums. It's that demonic influence that brings the tantrum out in people, right? And I would also say ego. The ego also brings tantrums out in people. Okay? Section number three. Now we're in verse three. Point number eight. <coughs> a prophet speaks in the name of God. A soothsayer mocks God. Listen here. When you see, says he, anyone not uttering his name or anathetizing him, he is a soothsayer. Again, when you see another speaking all things with his name, understand that he is spiritual. Right? So... That's why it says, therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit calls Jesus accursed. Right? In other words, if we're encountering somebody, even if they're telling us the future, if they, I'll use my contemporary language, right? If they're bashing God, they are not speaking from him. Right? The soothsayer is the one antagonizing God, speaking out against him, or as St. Paul says, is accursing him. And even if we haven't gotten to the future to see if their prediction is correct, their, their very behavior and their attitude and their language should help us understand which is genuine and which is not. Right? And we have lots of, we have lots of prophets in the world today. A lot of people trying to tell the future, right? Uh, compounding that point, point number nine, a soothsayer only names God when rebuked and then only with contempt. 
Christum says this, Did not the demoniac say, We know who you are, the Holy One of God? He's quoting uh, Gospel of Mark there. Did they not say to Paul, These men are the servants of the Most High God? From Acts. They did, but upon scourging, upon compulsion, never of their own will and without being scourged. Right? This gets us to how do we test the prophets, right? And one of the things that we say, even like if it's testing visions out, is it a vision from God? Is it an angel or is it a demon or whatever, right? Anything from the devil is not going to speak nicely about God. They won't even invoke God. And when they do, they'll speak nasty about him. And so what, what we would do is we would challenge them, right, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and invoke God's name. And if that gets a negative, nasty response, then we know that that is a soothsayer and not a divine prophet. Okay, but again, we can expand that to also say an angel as opposed to a demon or what have you. Yeah, the demoniac, right, the, the, the legion said, you know, they addressed God, but only because he was trying to kick them out, not because they were trying to confess their, their loyalty to him. So this is how we can test even the prophets to make sure that they are of divine origin as opposed to evil. Okay? Making sense so far? Like I said, a lot of theology tonight, a lot of, a lot of deep understanding tonight, which I think is pretty cool because it's been a while since he's kind of brought us deep, and this is a deep one. Section number four, and now we're covering verses four through seven. Point number 10, our gifts might be different, but the giver is the same. Chrysostom says this, so that even if there be a difference in the gift, yet there is no difference in the giver. For from the same fountain you are drawing, both thou and he. So remember now, this is addressing the division. This is addressing, well, how come I didn't get the same gifts? How come I got lesser gifts? How come I didn't get more? How come he got more? How come this? How come that? Why am I being treated differently? So saying, even if our gifts are different, what should bring us unity is that it's the same giver. This is why St. Paul says the same spirit, the same spirit, the same spirit, the same spirit. All of that is to remind us that even if we're getting different gifts, it's coming from the same spirit. And that should be enough to unite us. Unfortunately, it isn't always. All right, point number 11. This is pretty cool the way Chrysostom helps us understand this. Gifts, ministries, and workings are all the same thing, but given by the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit. And you might have to go back and reread the homily to understand this particular section. It was a little kind of uh, cumbersome, but listen to this excerpt. And what says he is a working, and what a gift, and what a administration? They are mere differences of names, since the things are the same. For what a gift is, this is a ministration, that he calls an, an operation also. Thus, fulfill your ministry. So where this is going, and it goes right into point number 12, and then I'll come back and I'll kind of say it a different way. Point number 12, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all the same essence. Do you see that he implies that there is no difference in the gifts of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, not confounding the persons, God forbid, but declaring the equal honor of the essence? And so this is where he, that St. Paul and St. John Christum are getting into deep theology here, right? The gifts... Are, it's just the difference in names, whether he calls it administration versus a gift versus a working, a, some kind of a, of a, of a power. And St. Paul is distinguishing that the Father gives certain things, the Son gives certain things, the Holy Spirit gives certain things. But just as a way to distinguish Father, Son from Holy Spirit, but they're all the same essence. So that's the deep theology of the Trinity now that is coming just from this passage about sp spiritual gifts to show that the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are all equal in essence, even if they're, even if they're um, 
different persons of the Holy Trinity. And Chrysostom's point is that it's just uh, terminology difference, but ultimately it's all the same gifts coming from God. He's just using the same, Paul's using a different terminology to distinguish Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Okay, but if we just simply say divine gifts, now they're all, they're all the same thing. Are we following that? It got a little intricate in, in the homily, so you may want to go back and reread that one particular section to see better what Chrysostom was, was having to say. But again, there's that profound theology of the Trinity there. All right, section five, quote number 13. It doesn't matter how small our gifts are profitable to us. Chrysostom says this, for having said that, for having said that it is the same Spirit and the same Lord and the same God, see there's Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? And having thereby recovered him, he brings in an, again another consolation, thus saying, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit to profit with all. For lest one should say, what if there be the same Lord? I lost it. What if there be the same Lord, the same Spirit, the same God? Yet I have received less. He says that thus it was profitable. Right, there's a question here. But as we did it, you're going to have to post the question on my phone. I can't see it all on the screen. There's a question about gifts, but she'll post it in a second. Right? So it doesn't matter how small our gift is. It is still profitable. That's why it is for all. Okay, it is not just for us to be able to make use of. Point number 14. Miracles are not for believers. How often do you hear me say this in the sermons? Miracles are not for believers, but to show the power of God to others. Okay. Chrysostom says this, For to me who am a believer, he that has the Spirit is manifest from his having been baptized. But to the unbeliever, there is no way be manifest except from the miracles. So that hence also again there is no small consolation. In other words, I, I said this exact thing in, in Sunday sermon, right? If we already believe in order to ask God, we don't need the miracles. The miracles are for those to witness the power of God so that they can become believers. And this gets back to the very first point from tonight, right? In that ancient church, there were people who received, once they were baptized, they received visible gifts not for their sake, but so that others could say, oh my gosh, there's something special here. You know, they've gotten, they've gotten these special gifts from God. Do you understand how that's all working, right? So I say it over and over from the pulpit. Don't ask for miracles, because miracles are not for those of us who are faithful. The miracles are for the non-believers to then believe in Christ. Okay, we, just, we get sometimes a little selfish. Oh, I want a miracle, I want a miracle. Because right? we read the Bible, and you're seeing all these miracle stories in the Bible. You're like, well, how come I can't get a miracle? All these people got miracles. What we forget is that, first of all, take, for example, miraculous healings. I guarantee thousands more were not healed than the ones that were. Right? But at times, what was Christ doing? He was healing so that they would believe in him. Okay? So, Presbytera says talents versus spiritual gifts. Uh, let me see if I can find that question she's talking about. Is it a talent that someone has or a miracle that happens to them? Um, can you tell us an example of a spiritual gift? So, uh, 
if we're talking about talents in the, in the sense that I have a talent for music or I have a talent for administration, those are not the same kind of gifts that he's talking about here. Here he's talking about miraculous gifts. All right, in, in, in Corinthians here, he's not talking about the gifts that we have in order to live life and in order to help the ministry of the church. He's talking about these spiritual gifts, these, these miracle gifts. I think that's the difference being made here. As opposed to our talents, which is, you know, so one person's a singer, one person's an administrator. Those are not miraculous. Here, St. Paul and St. John Christen were talking about miraculous gifts, gifts that show the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I guess we were talking about tone deaf before Bible study started. I guess you could say that if a genuine tone deaf person after baptism suddenly became Ethel Merman, what was her the famous opera singer? Mills, whatever her name was. There's no business like show business, the opera singer. So I guess you could say that would be a miraculous gift to show the power of God. But otherwise, we're talking about just talents, the things that God has given us in terms of life to be able to, um, to do the work of the church and things like that. That's the distinction, because clearly the emphasis here is on miracles, right? People who could speak in languages who couldn't speak in the languages before. Now, there's a natural gift that people have. Certain people have what I would call the talent of languages, meaning they very easily learn languages. But that's not a miraculous gift. That would be a talent. So I hope, Denise, I hope that answers your question a little bit better. Okay. Where are we? Point number 15. Thank you very much. Our unity should be glorified in our diversity of gifts from the same God. See, there's this theme of, of, of unity uh, again. The universal medicine in which his consolation consists is that out of the same root, out of the same treasures, out of the same streams they all receive. And accordingly, from time to time, dwelling on this expression, he levels the apparent inequality and consoles them. And above, indeed, he points out both the Spirit and the Son and the Father are supplying the gifts. But here he was content to make the spirit that even hence again you may understand their dignity to be the same, right? And so, again, what should be bringing glory was bringing division, okay? And so what his point here is, it doesn't matter what gift God has given us. Or even to say, take it one step further, if the Holy Spirit gave me one gift and the Father gave you a different gift, that shouldn't, bring, that shouldn't bring division between us because the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are all equal in essence. Even though the Father is the origin, obviously, you know, theologically speaking, dogmatically speaking. But what the point here is they are equal in their essence. And so what should bring us together and what should bring glory was bringing division. And so he says, you know what? Yeah, it's all coming from the same well. Shouldn't that be enough? And again, sometimes we, you know, refuse to trust in God's discernment. If God's the one saying, okay, here's my bucket of gifts. If God's going to say, I'm going to reach into this bucket, I'm going to give them out. Shouldn't we at least trust that God knows who should get what? Okay. And shouldn't we be thankful? Hey, guys, we're all getting something from God. God loves all of us enough to give us something. I mean, shouldn't that be sufficient? It wasn't. It was actually causing division. Everybody had the same thing, that you have no results. Have yeah, if everyone had the same gifts, then there'd be no benefit, no right? Benefit, no. Exactly, exactly. That's a great point. That's a great point. Okay, section number six, point number 16. 
Again, a dogmatic statement. What comes from the Holy Spirit is from God. That if the Holy, if, if the Spirit were inferior and of another substance, there would have been no avail in His consolation, nor in our hearing that the words of the same Spirit. For he who has received from the King, I grant, may find it a very soothing circumstance that He Himself gave to Him. But if it be from the slave, He is then rather vexed when one reproaches Him with it, so that even hence it is evident that the Holy Spirit is not of the substance of the servant, but of the king. I love that insight that Chrysostom is giving us from, frankly, politics. He's like, look, if the Spirit was not of the same essence of the Father, then it wouldn't be the same gift, and it wouldn't be a reason to have honor. And he brings in this whole, if the king gave it to you instead of his servant. What? I wasn't good enough for the king to give it to me himself? The king gave it to him. What? You lousy servant and you're going to give it to me? He's saying, if that were going on, then yeah, it's different gifts. But that's not what's going on. It is from God because the Holy Spirit is God. Right? Remember, the Holy Spirit isn't the Father. And the Father isn't the Holy Spirit or the Son, remember but they're all of the same essence, the divine essence. And that's why tonight is very dogmatic. It's talking about the Trinity and about essence and all. It's, it's really deep that if you're just reading through it casually, you don't have a great appreciation of. Okay, I think Christam has really done us a great gift tonight. Okay, so if you're new, this brings us to the end of the text analysis, chapter, verse kind of stuff, and leads us into what I call our life application. St. John Chrysostom almost always, and we've only found twice so far in that many number of years even, where this did not take place, St. John Chrysostom, inspired sometimes by one word, one verse, launches into a moral teaching that I call a life application. So tonight's life application, and I normally have it to put up on the screen, but I must confess I got delayed, so you're not going to be able to read on the screen. You'll have to read it from the study guide. But since you have the study guide, it shouldn't be a problem. So tonight's life application is called Accept Suffering. Oops, that's wrong. Isn't that last week's? Okay, so the title, forget it, so the title is wrong in the study guide. So we're going to skip the title, but the points are different, right? This is not the same as last week, is it? No. Okay. Sorry about that. I forgot to type in the correct title there. It is what they call a cut and paste error. Okay. So let's just dig right in and forget about the title. Point number 17. Be content knowing that God knows what gift we need and how much. Remember, this is now... We're getting direct life application from the Bible study. How many times have I said, we can even memorize the scriptures, but if we do not, if it does not change how we live, it is a useless exercise. So that's why we have this part of our Bible study. So here's the point. Be content knowing that God knows what gift we need and how much. Listen to this. For if you know that he vouchsafed it from providential care, consider that from the same care he has given also the measure of the gift, and be content and rejoice in what you have received. But murmur not at what you have not received. Yea, rather confess God's favor that you have not received things beyond your power. I mean, again, how beautiful is that? Not only were they complaining about what gifts, but about how much they got. And here's a beautiful lesson on humility. Look, if we're going to trust God enough, if we're going to believe in God enough to ask, shouldn't we at least trust that He knows what He's doing? <laughs> we're going to assume that He doesn't know how much we can handle and what we should receive? Right Now, here he's talking about gifts, miracle gifts and talents. 
But the same exact thing applies to everything else in our life. We have to be content knowing that God knows what we need and how much we need it. Whether that is miracles, whether that is talents, whether that is spiritual gifts like miracle, like uh, powers, or just life. We either trust that God knows what he's doing, or we do not trust that God knows what he's doing. And if we don't think God knows what he's doing, where have we elevated ourselves? Above God, really. Right? And yet we do, don't we? Why is God doing this to me? Now, it might sound a little simplistic to say, don't you dare question God. Okay, but at the same time, that quite frankly is what it's saying. You know, and to, 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 to look at it from a different vantage point. If God determines we don't deserve the gift, then we got to be okay with that too. Right? Be content with knowing that God knows what we need and how much. Along the similar line, point number 18, don't be preoccupied with the gifts others have received. And if in spiritual gifts one ought not to be over-curious, much more in temporal things, but to be quiet and be not nicely inquire why one is rich and another poor. For first of all, not every single rich man is rich from God, but many even of unrighteousness and rapine and avarice. Right, so he's like, look, don't be preoccupied with what other people have. And he goes into this whole thing about even, about even the wealthy. Don't assume just because they're rich that they're rich because of God's blessing them. Right? I think that's a really interesting point. Again, why are we so judgmental? Don't be preoccupied. So they have something. Whatever. No big deal. Be good with it. Right? What did I say, right? In, in uh, whoever does, denies himself, take up his cross and follow me, right? In modern language, right? Get over yourself. If, this were, if, this were, if Christ came today, he'd say, you want to follow me? Get over yourself. How many times could we use that word on ourselves right? or put it up on our mirror next to our, next to our slogans, right? Get over yourself. All right, here's another point. Point number 19. If the great men of the Old Testament didn't receive equally, why should we? I, I love that part of the sermon because he's, he's listing all these righteous of the Old Testament, and they all received different gifts, right? He says, For if those great and wonderful men were not alike exercised by God, but one by poverty, another by riches, one by ease, another by trouble, much more ought we now to bear these things in mind? I mean, when is the last time you read the Old Testament from the vantage point of learning something? You know what? If they all got something different, then why am I so wrapped up in me getting something different? I think it's just beautiful insight, right? All from these few verses. This is, you can tell that I really love Chris's Dom. And tonight's a really good sermon. Tonight's a really good Really good writing. Okay, section number eight, point number 20. God allows wicked people to be rich, <laughs> I love this, to teach us not to chase money. But God permits it at the same to signify the free choice of the will and also to teach all others not to be mad nor rave after money, right? We all know that stereotypical wealthy person chasing money, always miserable. No matter how much more money they get, they're just not satisfied, right? And so Chrysostom's point here is, allow that to be enough to say, don't do what they do. Don't try to chase the money because you're going to find yourself in the same misery. I just think that's a really great, great outset. Now keep in mind, we all know that Chrysostom, St. John Chrysostom, had a special disdain for the wealthy. He really always preached against the wealthy. 
a few weeks ago, right? Wealth and luxury makes us lazy and lazy makes us this and that, right? He, he's always speaking against wealth. But here he's like, look, at least use their misery as a lesson to not follow out their path. I think that's a beautiful, beautiful insight there. Point number 21. Accepting our illness allows us to be healed by God. For he that knows he is sick will, of course, both seek the physician and submit to remedies. But he that is ignorant of it will no chance at all, will have no chance at all of deliverance. I think that's, if we could learn nothing from tonight, I would say let's learn this one that if we acknowledge and admit and accept our illness, then we can be healed. There is nothing more humility than that. And remember, Christian humility, I've said this before, I'll say it again in case you're new. Christian humility is not about beating ourselves up. Christian humility is about acknowledging what is true and if what is true is I am sick and I need a doctor then it is humility that says I have to go to the doctor and do what the doctor says right if what is true is that I need repentance then I need to go to the church accept penance and live repentance, right? There's that, there's that connection. If we don't remember anything from tonight, that will be a sufficient lesson. But we're going to continue anyway. Section number nine. Good Bible study, tonight, isn't it? A lot of great points. Yeah. Section number nine. Even though we know better, we chase worldly things, right? As if we didn't allow their misery to teach us, we still chase them. Listen to what he says here. For these and such like things, though we hear every day, we are yet nailed to earth. And as ignorant children who learn their letters continuously, if they be examined concerning their order when they are disarranged, naming one set of another, make much laughter. So also ye, when here we recount them in order, follow us in a manner. But when we ask you out of doors and in no set order, what we ought to place first and what we and next among things, and which after which, not knowing how to answer, you become ridiculous. I was listening to Dave Ramsey the other day. As you know, I'm a big Dave Ramsey fan. And he talks about... Um, doing the right thing is not always knowing what to do. It's doing it. Right? We all know what's right, but we don't all do what's right. I mean, insert, right? We know how we should be eating. We know how we should be living, but we don't do it. Right, And so that's the point here, is that even though we, we know better, we still chase worldly things. Point number 23, this is a really harsh one. Be, 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 be careful of this one. If we are unable to discern holy from worldly, we are not worthy of heaven. Listen to what Chrysostom says here. For if you have not yet to learn these things, that riches are no great thing, that things present are a shadow and a dream, that like smoke they are dissolved and fly away, stand for the present without the sanctuary. Abide in the vestibule, since you are not yet worthy of the entrance to the palace courts on high. For if you know not to discern their nature, which is unstable and continually passing away, when will you be able to despise them? That is a very painful lesson to hear. If we can't even figure out that these things are just going to become dust, we're still going to chase them. We're not even worthy of heaven. 
not even worthy. Don't even go in the temple, he says. Stay outside. Now he's talking about our church. Remember, this is, Christism is talking in the fourth century when we already have a more traditional temple structure in orthodoxy, right? We have the, na the narthex, the nave, the holy of holies, right? And he's saying, don't even bother going in there. Staying out, stay, out th stay outside. If you're not going to tell the difference between the worldly things which pass away, you're not even worthy to enter. That's a pretty bold statement, but it gets back to what we've been talking about the past few weeks about Holy Communion, right? If we're not even going to put in to try to become worthy, then we're doing ourselves more damage, right? All right, point number 24. What really matters is how we use the gifts God has given us. But the whole depends upon the way in which we use them. Whether you are poor, you may live cheerfully denying yourself, or rich, you are most miserable of all men if you fly from virtue. For these are what really concern us, the things of virtue. So it doesn't matter what gifts we have. It doesn't matter how much of the gift. It matters of, are we using them for the right reason, right? How we use the gifts. Remember, it's not money that corrupts. Is the love of money that corrupts, right? Anything, even, even talents, even gifts, things from God, if they're used improperly, they are more damaging to us than, than the other. So that's a, a challenging thing for us, I think, especially in, the, in 21st century America, because we like to just do our own thing. Okay, so we close, if you're new, we close every Bible study with what I call the send-off, something that's going to capture us, inspire us to move until now in our next Bible study, which is four weeks away. We have four weeks with no Bible study. It's actually five weeks away as our next Bible study. November 14th, you said, right? Okay. So before we go on to our, let's, let's, let's give ourselves some homework. So since we have so many weeks with no Bible study, take the opportunity to either get caught up if you're new, if you've missed a few Bible studies, to go back, look at the study guide, what have you, to read the homilies, but also spend time just reading 1 Corinthians. Absorb it just for the sake of the text without stopping and, stu without stopping and studying and this and that. Just read it as many times as we can in the next month so we'll be better for it when we get together, right? So when we get together, we'll be homily 30, session 31. Uh, we'll continue in the book, in uh, chapter 12, verses 12, I think, right? Chapter 12, verse 12 is where we pick, off, pick up in next time. All right, so here's our send-off. Unless you give heed to holy things, you will ignore heaven. For when men have fallen from heavenly glory and the love of heaven, they desire present glory and become slaves and captives. And how is it that we desire this, say you? From the not greatly desiring that, as this very thing whence happens it, from negligence. From whence the negligence? From contempt. From whence the contempt? From folly and cleaving to things present and unwillingness to investigate accurately the nature of things. And whence again does this latter arise? From the neither giving heed to the reading of the scripture, nor conversing with holy men, and from following the assemblies of the wicked. Right? If we're not going to pay attention to the heavenly things, then we're going to ignore heaven. And the, uh, the big thing for us here is, if I were to say this in a different way, I've, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, right? Orthodoxy isn't about getting into heaven. It's about getting ready for heaven. And so Chrysostom's send-off here is that if we're not paying attention to holy things, when we get to heaven, we're, not, we're, not, we're just going to ignore it, right? And so that's what we got to challenge. So that's what's it, read the scriptures. So let's make it a concerted effort now in the next month, since we have a, several weeks with no Bible study, and read 
over and over and over 1 Corinthians. If you can read it in one fell swoop, just to get the whole flow of it, as many times as you can in the next month, and we'll be the better for it because it'll be absorbed into us. Then you start to see the points that St. Paul is making as it cross-references and back and forth, and as he continues the story, picks up the story, goes back to the story, what have you. Okay? Last chance for any questions? President, I don't know if there's any questions from online. I don't see any. All right. So... That brings us to an end of another Bible study. I hope it was inspiring for you. I hope it was a blessing to you. Again, we have the next several weeks off. Our next live Bible study will be Tuesday, November 14th, 7 p.m., right here in downtown Tarpon Springs. Until next time, God bless you, and don't forget to live a new life in Christ. Be Transfigured is a production of Be Transfigured Ministries in cooperation with the St. Nicholas Greek Orthodox Cathedral in Tarpon Springs, Florida. We depend upon your generosity to maintain our ministry. You can make a safe online donation when you visit our website, liveanewlifeinchrist.org.